look, I, I know it's very easy when you get confronted with cancers or brain operations. I've had two brain operations. I've had multiple cancer battles. It's very easy for people to just give up on life. It's, I mean, I did. I chose life. And let me just focus on what I can control. And that's the life I want to live and what I can do with my time that I've got here on earth. You are listening to Innovative Minds with Melanie Francis, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders, business leaders, and marketers around the globe. Tune in every Thursday and spark your mind. And now, let's get into it. So I am so excited to have the next guest. This is going to be a very different podcast to the one that you have been listening to. This is going to be the first one that I am doing as a CEO story. I think this is going to inspire you guys uh, to just keep going. And I'll tell you why um, in a minute. But the guest I have here is Chris Janoklovsky. How am I saying that, Chris? Is that right? Chris Janoklovsky, yeah. Um, He is so lucky to have lived, I think, to the age of 49 because he was told at the age of 19 that he would live till 30. But here's something that is really interesting about Chris, um, which separates him. Chris runs a really successful offshore business, despite the fact that at 19, he was told that, you know, you've only got sort of 10 years to live, he went on to build a really successful business offshoring and helping businesses and startups hire really talented Filipino staff during their growth phase. And when I say successful, I mean, he won't tell you this, but I mean, the guy lives in a beautiful home in Vaucluse, you know, is driving 9-11s, like all of that is part of his life. So what I really want to unpack with him today is how do you go from a low point of being 19, being told you've got 10 years, then living way past that. And then even with having the disease he does, which I'm going to let him get into with us to then be able to go and have a really successful business. How do you have that mindset to just keep going? And that's his book, just keep going that he's going to be launching. That's his motto. I'm so excited to have him here. He's my friend, he's a client, and it's his story that we're going to tell because I think after you hear this, you will realize that, you know, you don't have it so bad. And it makes me shiver every time I've read his manuscript. So here I am. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Oh, thanks, Mel, for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Chris, I want to go and just take you back to that first moment in the book that I read and you started it off and you said you were 19 when you find out that you've got um, 10 years to live. I want you to just tell the audience about that. What, what happened? Well, it was a brutal experience actually, because um, I had uh, lesions in my right eye and, and the doctors were puzzled. Why would somebody at the age of 16 have these little tumors in the, in the right eye? And it took a few years for them to connect the dots and say, let's get a DNA test. And at the age of 19, I have this DNA test and they confirmed that I have this condition where only 200,000 people around the world have got, which is called Von Hippolinda syndrome or VHL, better known. It basically forms cysts and tumors in all my major organs. And I went to, when I got the diagnosis, I first spoke to some uh, genetics people, but before I spoke to them, they wanted me to see some specialist guy about this condition. And then here I am at 19, uh, you know, just, you know, a year into driving my license. I'm so excited. I'm fresh in life. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in college studying graphic design at the time and uh, I drive up. I was, I was happy to go there. And uh, this guy just, I wanted to know what's going on with my eye. And then he goes, listen, sorry, Chris, to tell you, but you've got this condition and uh, you're you're one of the very few people that grow hereditary cancer and you've probably got cancer now all over your body and you don't even know it. Oh, by the way, the average life expectancy is 30 at the moment. So uh, that's average, Chris. So who knows? You know, I suggest we get you scanned straight away. 
So after that brutal <laughs> uh, diagnosis, I didn't know how to respond. I was just like, oh, what? Uh, oh, right. Uh, how do you know I'm going to be dead by 30? It was the first question that came to my mind. And, and, and then what do you mean I've got possibly cancer now? Cancer? I didn't know anyone who's had cancer up, up to that point let alone this disease that the big C, you know, to think that I'm going to have that. You, you for real? Yeah. I went to my car crying and I drove all the way home crying and probably a couple of weeks of crying nonstop. And that really transformed me because right there. And then, I mean, everyone was trying to talk to me and just didn't help right there. I gave up on the idea of a future. I gave up on the idea of, well, what's the point? What's the point in, trying to have a career what's the point in trying to save money or, or what's the point like there was no point to it uh, all of a sudden uh, all my life uh sense of enthusiasm or meaning or excitement about the life i'm about to commence in after college has kind of disappeared and what's so fascinating is so you give up on life at that point and i guess any of us naturally would be like you know and, and different people have different experiences, but you've just been told, you know, you've only got 10 years. Um, and when you guys pick up this book, the next 10 years where Chris goes into, and I really encourage you to read it, he lives life that he is going to be dead by, you know, 30. And that's pretty much it. And he goes and tells lots of stories. And I'd love for you to share one that comes to mind, Chris, um, during the span from, you know, 19 to 30, because there's a critical point that happens in 30 that we need to jump to. So what do you do for the next 10 years? If you could just give a sample of one of those sure. stories. Happy, happy to. Um, look, I mean, obviously I gave up on the, any future. I stopped believing in, in, in or caring about anyone or anything, even myself. Um, and so I, I became a real wild child. Um, and so one of the stories I talk about, uh, which actually, when I started writing the book, they, they were so entertaining. And I had so many of these stories, and I still do have so many of these stories, that um, my editor at the time thought, these are so entertaining, just add more and more. And I was like, no, that's not the point of the book. Um, but, but, but so uh, one of the stories that always comes to mind is a time when um, we were in America, we did it five, six months uh, road trip around America. We used this company called Auto Driveway to get cars from one place to another. And we just had to pay for fuel to get to these destinations. I was 21 years old. And this one occasion, we went to one area in, in LA, which said, hey, we do have one car because you got to go to these sites and then you'll know your destination. Like we don't have any plans. It's all open plan. We rock up to this car yard and he goes, mate, we've got these cars going here, here, here. But you know what? There's this one car going to New York because you guys mentioned you want to go to New York next. It's a long drive. You've got 10 days that will give you allowance to drive this car. And uh, it's a small car. It's only a two-door. And it's convertible. I'm like, Sounds exciting. What kind of car is it? He goes, well, it's a Porsche 944 and it's brand new. I'm like, all right, we're going to New York. Excellent. So we had this car and they gave us 10 days. But three weeks later, we're still stuck in LA, uh, having gone to these Hollywood parties and invites, telling, we were telling all the girls that, yeah, we bought this car for our road trip around America. <laughs> so we were having a lot of fun. But this car and this journey all the way to New York never quite got there uh, because uh, the car, uh, you know, there's so many. Uh, well, I shared so many parts of the story, but there was one point when the car uh, clutch burst because I was driving so fast down the Arizona desert. And um, I went from fifth to fourth and just blew it. Um, and then we we're stuck in the middle of nowhere. There was 30 miles, literally nothing on one side, 20 miles where we just came from nothing. And I waited for four hours till a, a, a vehicle would, start, would drive past. I finally a truck would pass and um you know i tried to wave him desperately he could see that i was in a bad way because this is four hours just waiting and this truck pulls over so far down the road that i didn't know what am i doing did this guy pull did he just pull over for me I, I wasn't aware because it was so far so i had to run to this car i mean the truck 
So when I ran to this truck, I, uh, I get in and this kind of Mexican looking guy with a hat and, uh, you know, bit of a character, drawn out American accent is in the truck. And um, I'm in the, I'm in the truck saying, mate, mate, the Porsche's just conked out the clutch. I think I, I stuffed the clutch and um, I don't know what happened to the car, but I need to get to the nearest town to, to get some help to get the car off the freeway because my mate's in the car and in America, you leave a car like that on a freeway, it's gone. <laughs> and, and so I, um, I, I immediately uh, get in this thing, uh, this truck, we, we drive. And as we're driving for a few hours, this guy, you know, we just strike a conversation and, and you know, it was a scary moment because he started talking about his obese wife and how much he liked having sex with her and all this stuff. And so here I am going, hang on a minute. Um, right. Okay. I was very uncomfortable and I was just thinking to myself, okay, so I'm, I'm now in this truck with this idiot who may even have a gun, who knows, is telling me about this crazy story. And then randomly says, well, would you like to meet her? And I'm like, ah, look, I, I don't have, look, I've got to get to a nearest town, mate. Look, I'm really like, it's getting dark already. And what do you mean? I don't want to go anywhere. And he goes, no, no, she's, she's at the back. Swipes the curtain. There it is. This lady that just laying there. And all I remember very clearly was these chocolate uh, bars that were half empty, cans everywhere. And it was wow. real filth. And she was big. Um, <laughs> uh, I, oh I refer gosh. to her. I, I refer to her uh, as uh, Jabba the Hutt in the book. Uh, but but she wasn't obviously like that. But she was big. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I don't know. When I saw that site and this guy talking about his sex life, I don't know. I was just like, like remember, I'm 21, right? I'm going, get me out of here. I was ready. I had the handle on. I had my head, the hand on the handle. I was ready to jump this truck. Wow. Uh, I thought these guys were going to rape me or something. Who knows? <laughs> um, and uh, so, he, so he just pulled over because he noticed I was freaking out a little bit. And he goes, listen. Uh, there's a town that way. Uh, it's a few miles out. You can't see it from here, but it's down there. And um, you, you, you could go down there if you want, rather than going to this other big town that I was going to drop you off. But you have to walk through this whole kind of desert looking uh, space. And I just, all right, I'm out of here. Thanks. I go walking, sunsetting at the moment. And, and, you know, it's rattlesnake country. You know, those tumbleweed things in, in the wind mm -hmm. and it was now I, i'm walking and i'm walking it, it took me a while to realize hang on a minute what if there is no town down there i can't see anything it's just desert uh, like you know rattle snake country kind of landscape i don't have any water i don't have anything on me it's, i'm just walking and um that's when it dawned on me like oh my god this is like serious uh, I just escaped this near adversity of being raped with this couple. Uh, and now I'm walking to this uh, town that I, that I assume is in this direction, but I don't see anything. And I just, I just thought, okay, well, now I'm in this predicament. I just got to continue going. And I did. And luckily, I, I came across a, a little red brick building, which happened to be a big store, uh, which then unfolds to another adventure, which I won't get into. But that's, so, that's one of the examples, yeah. So here you are living this crazy lifestyle because you found out that, you know, there is no point to just keep going. Um, mm. And I just want to um, get to a point in your book where I have just wanted to share. So you wrote at 24 then, so you were just talking about a story, but at 24, mm. I quit the last job. I would ever have as an employee. I quit, quit the idea of having other people control how much I could earn or opportunities I could have. I asked myself, does society genuinely, genuinely expect me to work hard at a job I don't like for the next 40 years, earning an income that can barely pay the bills? Do I have to settle for this? So I want to, the reason we shared a part of Chris's journey earlier is his book kind of starts off where he goes, you know, I'm a radical person. I'm just having fun. I don't care to someone that then evolves as a person to having these business ambitions. And that's, again, I just want to highlight why I want you guys to listen to this story is someone getting told, Hey, there's no more for you. You're going to be done in 10 years. 
um, to them living this, you know, really, you know, full on lifestyle of partying, drugs, all that. He kind of covers that. But then this person comes out and starts having all of a sudden ambitions. And I want to understand what changed for someone to go and be that person and be at the lowest point you know, and be doing all those crazy things. And we've all been there and we're telling this story. I think this is why you want to tell your story, Chris, from what I know is because you want people to know that you can change and there's, there's a path and there's a way and what changed to all of a sudden now talking about having business aspiration to you becoming a really successful business person later on in life. Look at that point in time, I, 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 I question I, my short mortality uh, uh, diagnosis uh, made me question a lot of like, what am I doing? What's the point? <laughs> um, I, I had a knack since the age of 14 of making money on the side. So I've always had that entrepreneurial zeal. Um, but, you know, my dad kept telling me like, Chris, you know, Chris, uh, get a job. Uh, <laughs> you know, you got to have stable income. Uh, well, you can't keep doing these deals where one minute you're making all this money, you know, uh, he just didn't understand that. And I, I kept doing this on the side, but at the same time, because it wasn't paying consistent income, like I'm making a lot of money, then nothing, then somehow money. And so he, I, I got a job because he insisted on me getting a job. So I, I got a job and I got one job at a metal factory for 10 months. I got promoted to a manager. I resigned. I then, you know, went on my wild journey across America and then I did two and a half years at a factory where I was a factory manager working at a factory where my dad worked. And I predominantly wanted to do that because I wanted to see, uh, because my dad was interested in his job. He had passion for his job. He was helping a lot of uh, people in his community get jobs. He was a, a, the boss of a thousand staff and all this stuff. He was a factory manager on an upcoming factory uh, in Melbourne. And so when I went to this business that everyone had the highest respects for my dad, it was fascinating to, to be part of this experience. But at the same time, you know, it was a struggle. It was Groundhog Day every day. It was like two and a half years of like non-stimulated work. It wasn't that challenging. It wasn't what I was, what I really cared about or interested in. And that's when I started questioning myself again, that mortality question. <laughs> Am I expected to really continue doing this as, as for the, for the rest of my life? Is this, so if I'm going to be dead by 30, am I going to continue being in this job? Because there were people that I was the boss of because of my connections and my dad, that were in that factory for like 20 years. And, and I remember this one occasion where I was trying to terminate one of these guys because he just, he just wasn't willing to make small little changes needed to improve the production flow. And I just struggled with this people management side of things. And I wanted this guy terminated. You know, I was 23 at the time or 24. Now I've got the, I've got the role. I've got this leadership role, but I don't have the leadership respect. I haven't earned it amongst anyone. <laughs> and um, it was all too hard. And I was just wondering again, you know what? That's it. I, I, this isn't working for me. There's no point continuing just wasting time. If I've got another six years to go, what the hell am I stuck here? I can make my money on the side. And who cares about money? Like, well, why is money so important? It was at that point that I realized I, I, I am actually craving a purpose. I was, craving, I was craving some meaning. I was craving something that would still matter for me while I'm here. I, I think it was at that point in time when I crossed that junction and I said, I wouldn't mind if I could do something that can, you know, inspire me, make me, make me feel like my, my life matters in some way and you count it in some way that I'm doing something that can make a contribution or I don't know. It was just these thoughts entered my head for the first time. And when I, when I quit, it took me eight months of soul searching to come to the terms of saying, no, I want to become an entrepreneur. I already was an entrepreneur but I consciously decided to become an entrepreneur and I, I burnt my bridges and I said, that's it. I'm going to choose to find my own way, uh, burn all bridges. I'd, th I'd rather live on my knees than, than, and be broke than fall in this trap of security and income doing something I absolutely did not like to do. And, and that's what a true entrepreneur is. And I guess that when I hear that for me personally, 
it goes back to my entrepreneurial journey and it resonates with me. And I think all entrepreneurs that are listening, we've all had that moment of mm. that we can't keep doing this. And for you, I feel that was accelerated by also having a short lifespan that you kind of realize mm. this. And, you know, if you're listening on, I mean, your experience was accelerated going, I don't even have that time to, you know, figure that out. So that's all come at you at, you know, at a very young age. And what's so fascinating is you then go on to have multiple businesses, right? And some fail, some you make huge amounts of money and you kind of share the whole experience. But the first business you ever had, which is was really interesting for me, is a marketing business. Mm. That's where, um, well, you had some other businesses, but you know, your that, first... Yeah. You've had always little ventures along the way as a child and everything, but you know, um, and you say that you were craving an outlet and searching for something that would fuel my soul, give me purpose, and enable me to contribute in a more meaningful way. And you kind of say that um, right now that for you, it's all about purpose and finding purpose. Um, at what point? And, and, like, and you sort of go through this business journey and I really encourage you guys to, you know, read the book because there's so many businesses and there's so many failures along whilst he's fighting this disease, you know, there's, there's constantly, you know, that in his mind. Um, and, and remind me, Chris, at this point in your life, you haven't yet had any operations or anything yet attack you. You're just kind of, you know, starting to go, okay, yeah. I'm going to, I'm just evolving into business and I'm trying, you haven't had your first operation or anything so, yet. So, so the moment you're referring to was when I became a life coach at the time when the industry was just emerging, that was like late in the 90, uh, 1998 or something like that. And, um, and um, I, I, my first business was industry outplacement. So it was a packaging and assembly business. Yes. Um, the, but I was bored with that business. So I, I, I had a hundred staff, even I, I, I got very successful very fast, but I was, I was, it was another groundhog day, but this time doing it under my control. And I was like, uh, this isn't good. I, I read Robert Kiyosaki's book and he said, you know, start a business that you're familiar in, in an industry that you're familiar in. And since I did the, uh, you know, manufacturing space, I thought, well, okay, I'll start something to service that segment. But um, I was I was ignoring that business. And just like my condition, I was ignoring my condition. They wanted me to do yearly scans. I didn't bother with yearly scans. So, and I didn't bother with this business. It was very successful because even though I had all this money, again, I, was, I realized, well, what's the point? I mean, so what? I've got no money. So what? I've got all these people around me appreciating, you know, looking at me with this fancy car that I've got or whatever, but who cares? Uh, I was still empty and it was, there was still this void of unfulfillment in me. And that's when uh, this, this friend of mine called me and said, listen, look, I was watching the show about life coaching. And when she called me and she said, listen, Chris, I, I saw this show and I really thought that you'll be great at that because I was still everyone, everyone in my little tribe and network in Melbourne back then knew that I was trying to find an answer. Um, because they, they, some of them knew about my time issue, uh, and uh, and the fact that money wasn't really the equation anymore. What I was after, I was really after uh, um, doing work that I love, and that was uh, that mattered in some way. And so this life coaching thing was fascinating because um, I was told on a Sunday, uh, and then on the following that, uh, that night, I was attending some property seminar thing. I printed some flyers, made an offer, one page offer. I stood at the line <laughs> at the entrance of this seminar, handed out these flyers uh, that people thought I was part of the program until somebody caught, caught to the thing, caught on that said, hang on a minute, this guy's not part of our operation. I ran into the room and I look at the auditorium, uh, college style looking auditorium and uh, everyone's got these flyers in their hands. And, and that's on a Sunday and the following day on a Monday, this back when there were faxes, I had 19 faxes of people taking me up on my offer to, to be their coach. Uh, I met every one of these people and I ended up coaching 13 of them. And um, it, was, it was the first time where I got to, because back then I was hungry for knowledge. I was hungry for answers. I read close to 900 books I, or a thousand books. I just devoted my time since my industry uh, placement business 
I was so successful. I had all the money in the world and I didn't care about the business dying or whatever. I just kept buying books and studying and going down this rabbit hole of learning. And, and, and being a life coach at that time was fantastic because it allowed me to finally apply my knowledge and learnings to other people's lives. And it was so refreshing to hear other people's problems rather than my own. And so when I was coaching all these people for about six months, um, many uh, got, got good results, but one lady achieved everything. As in, this is at a time when, yeah, I'm doing okay, but it's not like I've achieved my financial goals or I'm not you know, driven, living a dream lifestyle or identified a, a purposeful, meaningful work for me yet. And um, she almost became, uh, she made a, her target was to make half a million dollars back in 1998, which is probably equivalent to a million now. And she literally made it with my help. And that's when I, that's when I quit being a life coach and realized, hang on a minute, I need to listen to my own advice first. Uh, but, the, but, but the beautiful thing in that journey was how much energy and how much excitement I had when I was trying to help others. And that's when, that was the first time I got a clue that, hang on a minute, I'm onto something. So I love how um, you have this success, but then you realize it's not, it doesn't drive you. Then you do something else that you think is going to drive you. And then you're back to like now realizing, no, I need to apply it to myself. So Take me. Actually, I just wanted to mention: first business was highly successful. Second one, I, I commercialized something in uh, China. Easy log. A yeah. Lot, I, yeah, I lost a lot of money. Yes. And that's when I was. That's when I was rebuilding again. That's when I did the live coaching thing first, and then after that, I did wheeling and dealing everywhere. And I want to mention that it's not that easy. You haven't just gone from zero to huge amounts of success. You've lost a lot of money on the way. And the book goes into that. It, it, when you're saying, you know, it was highly successful, I think you're saying from, you know, the age you're at in life That's and right. where you're at, it wasn't That's like, right. you know, you were, you know, rolling in it because you've lost it. Then you've gone and reinvested mm-hmm. it. So it was a difficult journey to the point we will get to at the end of the story when you actually get this call later on from an accountant, right? And you actually mm. get your first million. And that wasn't until much, much, much later because there was lots and lots of failures, yeah. right? Yeah. Along yeah. the way, because business journey is difficult, but then you've got all your other complications to get to mm. that, that you have to live with. And I want to, I want to talk about that point, um, when you decide that you're not going to let VHL anymore control and live your life and you don't, cause you don't know when the end is and you chose a different way to live life. So tell us when, you know, when you went and woke up and you say this in the book um, and it's just so memorable for me, you say, I choose life. Yeah. <laughs> it's still, it's still very much a, a moment that impacts my life today. Um, I was uh, 32 and uh, the, the hereditary condition finally caught up with me. Uh, at this time, I'm running another kind of business, another marketing version, an online college uh, business, learning how to make money back in 2004 and 2003 with affiliate marketing. And um, in, you know, the internet was coming of age. And this is back in the days when your PPC would cost you five cents <laughs> and uh, per click. And so while we're doing that, and it's very successful, I'm selling this program and uh, a friend of mine was making a lot of money and, and I convinced him to help uh, do this. Anyway, I'm, I'm on a seminar, I'm at Queensland and um, getting lots of sales. I was enjoying the experience, uh, finally getting back on my feet, um, becoming success, successful again. Um, when uh, these, these, I had two weeks of headaches in one go like just, I kept taking panels and I just didn't think about it because I'm so busy. I'm so, I just kept taking panels. And then one day I looked at the bin and I realized it's full of panel packs. And then uh, it was getting so uh, bad that when I was in the toilet, putting um, just a little bit of pressure, I had these electrical shocks firing up and down my spine. I, I had a feeling that something's not quite right. It was my friend who's a doctor. I said, listen, you got to get yourself checked. There's something going on that's not good for you. When I get myself checked, I just wanted to get an answer as to what's causing this headache and why, why isn't it going away? 
And that's when the doctor was like, listen, Chris, uh, we've done the scans. We've got the results. You've got to come in the office. Uh, you know, they, they tried, I was so busy. I was so driven at that time trying to make this next business adventure work that the doctors had to follow up on me all day to try to get me there because I was still like, whatever, I'll get to it whenever I get to it. Um, and when I get there, that's when they tell me the shocking news. Chris, you've got a five centimeter tumor that's smack at the back of your cerebellum, the lower part of your brain. It's so big, it could burst any day. Uh, and, uh, you know, frankly speaking, you've let this really loose. And um, we're going to have you booked in an operation. This was on a Tuesday. And they said, look, we're going to have you booked an operation on the following week on a Thursday. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? You're booking me for a brain operation? Are you for real? Like someone's going to cut into my, my personal space. You know, this is very, this is an invasion of my privacy. What are you talking about? I freaked out. I mean, I don't, I, brain operation. I didn't know that people have brain operations. Are you for real? I'm having a brain operation. It was, that's when I realized, hang on a minute, this condition of mine has finally caught up with me. So I, I just left that diagnosis it was at bondi junction i just walked out the street and just looked at the sky and i i just i, I had enough i just like you know god i've had enough kill me if you want to but i've, I've had enough of living this this empowering life i've had enough of living in the shadow of this uncertainty of my future i'm tired of it kill me already or whatever i'm no longer gonna obsess about this adversity i'm stuck in i'm going to focus on life and i choose life while i'm here i'm going to make the most of it i've had enough of this and that moment was uh transformative yeah wow i think um you're so passionate talking about that and you chose life and you went on to build a successful business you went on and it's funny how you you know fell into that um business while i think was it you were visiting Philippines and you were, you were on a holiday? Like how did that, how did the business you run today and you've been running for 14 years very successfully, you know, and you're looking for purpose for, you know, out of your work. How did you actually, when, from the moment you choose life to then running a successful business that you are now purposeful about, like, what was it? Like, what can we learn from that? So, so I took first, well, after that adversity, I had the brain operation and I go on to talk about how both my cancers were riddled uh, both my kidneys were riddled in cancers and, and then i had my right kidney removed two months later and then they wanted to operate on my left kidney i just said to them guys let's pause yes i know my kidneys my left kidney has got uh, uh four cancers and yes it's been there for a while yes they're big they're over the danger zone of four five mil look i'm already a dead man guys whatever like i know you've just removed my right kidney it had 95 percent cancer we don't know if cancer spread at the moment. I've just had this bloody brain operation. I know I've dodged a bullet when they touched me to touch when they told me to touch my nose and do certain things. I go, wow, I really, I really got close on that one. So I just said, time out. Let's just stop. I'm taking a year off. And and you know what? If this is really my, my last chance at living life, and I'm now already uh, 32, so I'm two years over what they said I'll be dead at. I said, you know what? I'm taking a year off. I'm, I'm just going to go travel the world, shag as many women as I can. That's my second chance to life. And that's what it was. It was I like just went around the back to when you were like kind of 19, you were like redoing yeah. it one more time. You're like, one doing more your round, horror. one more okay. round. Why not? It's so much fun. And, and this time it was with the focus of women um, and having a good time. And so, yeah, when online dating, online dating was emerging and, uh, you know, I went all over the world, uh, I found myself stuck in Asia first because my friend who I was doing the online marketing college set up an operation in Cebu and he's the one that had an apartment there. And he just said like, you know, come over, hang out there. I know you want to take a year off. And, you know, uh, he invited me to come over. So I, up until that point, I didn't know much about the Philippines. I knew nothing about it, actually. I think I only knew one person who I only found out later that she happened to be a Filipina. So uh, the Philippines was not really in my world. And so when I went to the Philippines, I had no idea what I'm getting into. But I went there and, you know, typical, you know, Southeast Asian country, it's hot. And, and but one thing that was pleasant, uh, I was very delighted in, was because I'm a very social kind of person that, that the people there spoke English. And I was like, how good is this? I'm like Thailand and stuff, you know, 
uh, and other parts of Asia where the English is very, very, very limited. It was so refreshing to be in Asia where people are speaking great English. Uh, so therefore I'm connecting with people and stuff, but there was this cultural stuff that I was noticing and stuff. But anyway, I was enjoying dating these girls and, 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 and I was really taking advantage of being a white bloke in Asia. <laughs> I really had this supreme advantage compared to <laughs> Australia. Like, wow, I, I had no such, I had no idea that such perceptions existed over there. And so I took full advantage of it. I had a lot of fun. I was getting exhausted. Um, but then that's when I realized, hang on a minute, uh, you know, uh, anyway, that, that, uh, I go on to the story where I talk about a lot about there. Yeah. It's... But, but that's when I said, I tried, because I'm always doing this entrepreneurial thing. That's when I, I, I hired one or two people, a general assistant and a graphic designer to help me on certain projects that I had in my mind that when I return one day, I'll maybe pick up on these things. And for the price and for the work and their work ethics and stuff, I, I got exposure to it. And when I went to see my friend's business, I got exposure to that as well and fall in love with the people in general and everything else. Um, it all kind of, yeah, just kind of happened. That's in uh, 2006. Isn't that interesting? So, you know, you've had multiple businesses and then all of a sudden you again go into a phase going, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I need to go on a trip again. And you kind of fall into and you find the right business that gives you purpose and you go on and speak about that purpose. And um, I really encourage you guys to pick up the book because he goes on to meet his wife, um, Rika in Philippines, you know, and then she becomes part of the business and he goes into the next part of his life. Even after you think that, you know, yeah, and he's got it all going on and he's, everything's great. He's got a successful business. He's, yes, he's got um, VHL, but then what really, um, you know, touched me when you get to his story, Chris's story, um, Chris, is when we find out it's time to have children, you know, and, and for you to even make it to this point, to even contemplate this, knowing that there's a short span, but what is so complex, I believe, about your story is you know the adversaries never stop i mean the operations never stop the they they continue but then on top of that now the next challenge is what if my children have and i pass on the same hereditary vhl and i and and what a complex decision that you went through and you know i was touched to Mm. read and um because you got the complexity of what you have it just keeps impacting you in every part of life and you continue to get through it and you just keep going and, you know, you keep tackling one at a time, but that would have been a really difficult time for you when it came to having children yeah, and knowing um, that. So first I never thought I'll ever be married. Uh, having a family was just not on my radar in any which way. Uh, I can't believe that I'm such a devoted family man now, <laughs> uh, but the, um, but, but, but I had a child because of love. It was for the love of the wifey. And uh, I said, look, for sure, let's, let's have a child. We were doing the IVF process, uh, exploring that scenario. We were told that there's a 50-50 chance of passing on to my offsprings. Um, and we're preparing, for the, uh, uh, we're preparing for the IVF process when my wife fell pregnant naturally. And that's when they, the doctors uh, had a meeting with us and said, listen, look, we do these tests now and confirm even though it's, you know, the baby's grown already in there, we can test. And, and I said, no, 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 I don't want to test. It's too late. Like that, I didn't know I was so pro-life until that moment came. And, and that's when I just said, no, I'd rather not test. I'd rather, it's, what, if it has the condition, does that mean we're going to abort? And that's when I went for this whole soul, soul searching journey. I said, why, why is my life or my son's life any less valuable than anybody else who doesn't have this condition and normal? Well, why, why, like I'm here, I'm worthy of life. We all are worthy of life. We, we want to make the most of it while we're here. And so just because we've got an adversity or weakness or some hereditary challenges or whatever they are, 
That doesn't mean we need to count ourselves out. That doesn't mean we can't accomplish our dreams. That doesn't mean we can't make a contribution that's a big contribution and a big impact. It doesn't mean that our matters, our life don't matter. You know, there's all these things that, you know, was uh, confronting me with this question. And that's when I realized that it doesn't matter what adversity my son will have or if he has this condition or whatever, he's still worthy of life. He's got this opportunity. I'd rather him, I'd rather have him than not have him with or without this condition. And uh, that was a, that was a moment. And then it was only two years later that we found out that he actually did not have this condition. I was like, wow, that was a, that was an incredible moment. Absolutely. But then you go on to have your second <laughs> yeah. child. And so the wife, you- the wife insisted on a second child. I, I wanted to stop. I, I got lucky with one. I, I, it didn't pass the condition. I want this condition to end with me. But the wife wants a family unit and she wants um, uh, another child, naturally. And again, this time we did go through three IVF processes, or she did. And it just wasn't successful. And every time uh, she she tried it, there wasn't enough eggs and the eggs that were, were infected with the hereditary condition. And again, she fell naturally pregnant. And again, we went through that process. And I just said, nah, done. Let, it's meant to be, let's just roll it. And unfortunately, the second child did have the hereditary condition as me. And, um, and I went through that process. And, and again, he... Well, look, you cannot deny life. You know, if there's life, it's a blessing in itself, regardless of if whatever happens to the child, it's, it's here. You, you have a chance to know this individual for the rest of your life. You're blessed to have another person grow and evolve and be here. And so to me, that was just like at that, at that point, even though he's got it, I was already uh, okay with it to say, hang on a minute, as a father, I've battled this condition so many times. I've, I've been knocked out so many times. I've got up so many times. I became happier, wealthier every time. I'm more driven and hungrier, more, living a more purposeful life every time. I know how to handle this. Unlike my father, he didn't even know he had it until he was 55 and then passes away at 67. I'm here. I can help him out, at least manage his condition better. So I, I was looking for the positives to outweigh the negative of it. And what I want to get to the crux of is how do you just keep going and continuing to build? I mean, I know now you're expanding your business into the USA. We're seeing, you know, the business evolve into being so much more with, you know, the span, you know, with you knowing that you're going into surgery again. You just told me, hey, I'm going to be going into surgery again. And how do you even sit there and not just be a person that goes, you know, I'm just going to be all about family. Like, how do you continue to have these business ambitions and be so naturally be like, I'll just be in hospital after, you know, we know when you say you're going to hospital, it's not just, I'm just going into hospital to run a few tests. Like we understand that, you know, you're going into hospital and this could be, quite crucial we don't know how long you could even come out we don't know sometimes so how do you actually just keep going with even having those ambitions for yourself and not just yeah look i know it's very easy when you get confronted with cancers or brain operations i've had two brain operations i've had multiple cancer battles um it's very easy for people to just give up on life it's i mean i did um so on that occasion when i when i said i've had enough of living a disempowered life I chose life and therefore I also made a distinction in the line to accept the reality that I'm in, uh, to make a shift in my focus, to say, you know what, this is hereditary stuff, even though, let me just assume for a second it's out of my control and let me just focus on what I can control and that's the life I want to live and what I can do with my time that I've got here on earth and let me just focus on that because um you know wherever you focus energy flows your attention and all that goes there so i just kept that um at bay like i thought about it i managed to be strategic in managing my health to be still alive i have to be very uh, normal everyone can just live their life normally but i have to actually be very strategic in how i make decisions when to operate when not what to take what not to take what what uh, i have to be mindful of my, to, to be alive 
literally I'm always fighting year by year to, to remain alive. And so, so while I'm alive, I don't take time for granted. I don't take this lightly at all. I am focused on optimizing and living a deliberate life. So when I went at that time, when I became, um, uh, when I looked at the sky and I said, enough is enough. I went from disempowering beliefs to self-empowering beliefs. I went from, you know, somebody that had often doubts to now being very confident, somebody that was often disheartened to being inspired often. I, I would often run away from problems. Now I'm taking life problems on head on. You know, I, I was passive in life before. Now I'm actively pursuing my dreams and everything else. I, I, I was playing it always safe. I'm not playing it safe anymore. I'm willing to go all in when I want something. When I'm clear about my desires, I'm all in. I'm not trying to get odds in my favor. I, if it's important enough for me, I go do it. Um, you know, everything was interesting. So before I was often overwhelmed. Now I'm often in control uh, because I'm focusing on what I can control. Um, so, so whatever the condition does, it is what it is. It's fine. Just another speed up. But I've always got my eye on the, the prize. I've always got my eye on my intentions and getting clear with what it is that I do with my time and my actions. And how is that activity going to contribute and make a meaningful difference in others' lives? Because the way the more I focus on my making a difference and making the impact, the more it offsets my anxiety or my mortality. I realized then my how long I live doesn't matter. It's how much I can contribute, how much of a difference I can make while I'm here that matters. Who cares how long I have to live? We all die, but not many of us can make a significant contribution in our time that we've got here. And hence why discovering your purpose is so important. I think my story is all about that. Having clarity about what your intentions are and living a deliberate life is the only way you can optimize the time you have here and make a significant impact. So do you think it's then about attitude and, or do you think that there's a spirituality part? Because I know you're a very spiritual person and we didn't get to cover it, but um, if you pick up the book, you will understand that Chris goes through a huge spiritual journey. But my question was how much of it is attitude and is there, you know, a part of it that you think of just keep going, like, you know, being able to have the ability to keep going do you think it's because of the fact that you became spiritual? Uh, well, look, the spirituality definitely helped me uh, in, in many ways come to peace with my mortality. Um, the, the, there is a spiritual context in my, because I make pledges, I live up to these pledges. Like my first time when I was bargaining for life with a doctor, I made a pledge to employ thousands of people and I've lived up to that pledge with my company remote staff. My second pledge was to inspire millions since I was writing a book, bargaining for my life on a second kidney operation. And now that's my next adventure, which I'm committed to doing to the very end. Um, spirituality uh, provides you uh, context of stuff that you don't understand. You just, you, you feel it, you know something is much more powerful and greater beyond our conscious awareness uh, capability so i know there's a uh spiritual element to me but there's also the idea of our mindset and the importance of our mindset because our minds can heal us our minds can be the difference between making us sick and making us healthy and combining a mindset because it's like i haven't had this strong mindset uh like at the beginning obviously you know uh, yeah, I shared that in my story, but it's taken multiple millions of dollars of losses, multiple cancer battles, multiple brain operation, many months of rehabs, learning how to walk and talk and all these adversities. I keep getting back up. And every time I keep getting back up, I learn more and more distinctions, which I share at the end of the book, uh, my five life lessons, uh, which I cover in the book. But because I, I want I want to share my learnings from my near death experiences and getting up from such adversities all the time. And so it is a combination of spiritual context, purpose, adding purpose and meaning in your life and mindset. I think the whole three need to flow. And, and don't forget, all of that doesn't matter unless you've got inner integrity, inner alignment with your emotions. You are who you are. You look in the mirror and you go, yeah, I could take on the world. It's fine. Yeah, 
punch me, knock me out. That's fine. I'll get back up. I'll go for it. I ain't go. I, you know, that, 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 that attitude that just keep going, no matter how uh, challenging the adversities are ahead of you is scary is when it's real and my story really highlights that because at one point of time when a brain tumor burst in the operating room and the doctor said straight up to my wife look 60 percent of people die on my table when this happens your, your husband's lucky to be alive only 40 percent of people survive this and yes i had all these adversities but you know it's, it's always fascinating to 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 dare hope that the best is yet to come a future that's uh, unknown to us. Like, we don't know if it's a disastrous future, which took me so long to come. I was only at 32 when I first started believing in a future. And now I choose to maintain uh, an optimistic, hopeful future. And I always say, well, why can't the best is yet to come? Like, why can't the best be just around the corner? Why do I have to focus or obsess about the worst or, you know, the worst outcome. Well, why do I have to even focus on that? Why can't I just assume the best? That was what, a big, usually learning curve for me. Yeah. What an inspiring mind is what I can say. Like, you know, what an inspirational person. Like, I'm honored to have you in my life um, that I get to speak to as often as I do because you inspire me. And, you know, I've said this to my team that your story, you know, really is truly inspiring and it's um, an honor to be able to tell it. And if you want to learn, I guess, how Chris has got this mindset, he's got some practices and lessons, um, five of them that he outlines in his book as to, you know, things that he's learned to get into the mindset that you see today. Um, go and put your name down on and register for the book as soon as it comes out you can start picking them up because it's quite detailed from us to go through but you know that amazing mindset there is actually you can have the same mindset I think that's the point and without even having all the adversaries and um, so pick up the book we'll be dropping the link to where you can actually register to download um, the book as soon as it becomes available it's been a complete honor to have you to share and inspire and you speak with so much heart and wisdom so thank you so much chris for sharing your journey to inspire them yeah thank you and that's been great i look forward to uh putting myself out there more and more and i look forward to making a, a difference i believe inspiration really matters hope really matters and i believe when people are inspired and are hopeful for what they do uh you know lives change and the world becomes a better place you are listening to innovative minds tune in every thursday and spark your mind